Roy Jr. Kids, head out there with Braden. You're dismissed. Um, I'm glad that Brody's a long-winded preacher um, because tonight um, I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to teach because we just got wrapped up with a Hebrew study where we preached expositionally through passages in the book of Hebrews. Um, next week, we're launching into um, the Minor Prophets study, and uh, tonight, uh, we're just going to focus on sanctification. So rather than being in just one passage, um, we're going to be all over the place in the Bible and learn what sanctification is. Um, and, uh, and so uh, I want to give you just an overarching where we're going is uh, we're going to cover three main areas. We're going we're to define it. So what is sanctification? We're going to talk about how, uh, the different stages of sanctification, that it's past, present, and future. And then we're going to um, ask a very important question. What is our role in the, the sanctification process? What's, what's the role of effort that we are to put in in the sanctification process? So um, uh, on Wednesday mornings, I usually uh, I meet with a group of young men, um, and we've been walking through this book. Um, called Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. It's an excellent book. Um, highly encourage you to read it if you're a dude. Um, and uh, we, uh, we, we finished up a chapter um, probably about a month ago or so, and we were just like really like convicted. We were like, we should memorize the focus of this chapter. And it was 1 Thessalonians uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, and it was verses 3 through 8. And, and how that starts is, this is the will of God, your sanctification, right? And, and so that's a pretty simple verse. Now, no, verses 3 through 8 have a lot more in there, but, but the main gist and focus of that is sanctification. And so um, what I think is fascinating and what I know to be true um, over the course of my life and, and having conversations with people inside the church and outside the church is a lot of people have this main question, what's God's will for my life? And the scriptures are very clear right here in 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, right? That's what it says. Like, and, and it couldn't be more clear. And I know that some people want um, like a more specific will. They're like, uh, who should I marry? What, is she God's will for my life? Is he God's will for my life? Is this job God's will for my life? Should I move this different state? No, that's specific will, right? This is general. We're talking about God's general will for our lives. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be holy, all right? And so, and I also thought about this, and the reason I'm, we're, we're, we're focusing on sanctification is because in Hebrews, it talks about it a lot. Uh, in, in Hebrews 10.10, 10, it says, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, right? Hebrews 10.10. 10. And then in Hebrews 10, 12, it says in verse 14, strive for peace and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So this holiness is the goal of sanctification because sanctification is a pursuit of holiness. Or you could say in one word, Christ-likeness. Christ likeness. It's being formed into the image of Christ. As followers of Jesus, we want to be more like Jesus. So sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. Um, a few uh, weeks ago, when Brody was preaching through that Hebrews 12 passage, he said some really hard things, 
for us to hear. He said, if you're not growing as a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian. That's kind of hard to hear. It's a hard pill to swallow, right? And, And the point was, if there's no evidence in your life of holiness, if there's no desire to grow, in holiness. If there's no desire, like if you, if we were singing that song a while ago, I want to know you. I can't sing at all. Jesus, my Lord, like I want to know you. And if I know you, I want to know you more, right? Like if you're like, I don't care about knowing Jesus at all. That's probably a good indication that you don't have a relationship with him, right? But if you, if you're like, I do, I do, I want, if that struck a chord, I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you more. I want to know you more, right? We should have this desire to grow in our knowledge of Christ and grow in our holiness, right? Because Christians should be growing up. We should be maturing. And we know this is true about plants. You plant something, if it doesn't grow, you're like, there's something wrong with that thing. It's not growing, and it should be. Um, and, and thinking about this a little more deeply when it comes to human beings and not plants, uh, I was talking with my best friend uh, recently, and he, uh, him and his wife have uh, a newborn, eight-month-old baby boy, and we were discussing recently how fast he's growing. It's just shocking. Um, and we see it happen right before our eyes, and if you're a parent, you know this to be true. Um, we watch children grow, right? And their growth rate is incredible. Maybe you even had like a ruler in your house or you used a door frame where you like marked off like every year. Everybody gets a notch. You see people grow over the years, right? Um, and so uh, we know this to be true. When we watch children grow up, they, they grow very quickly. We encourage them, right, to crawl. We, we, we encourage them when, um, when they spend too much time as babies on their back, they need to have what, mamas? belly time, right? We encourage them to have belly time. And then when they have belly time, we encourage them to start crawling, right? And then you'll send videos to your family and friends and little baby will be over here and you're over here like treating them like a dog, like, come on, come on, come on, let's go. You know, and you're trying to get them to crawl across the floor. And when they start army crawling, you celebrate it. And it's awesome, you know, and it's like the biggest thing in the world. And then they like start like making, making their army crawl way over to like the couch or the coffee table. And they start pulling themselves up and standing by themselves on their wobbly little legs. Right. And then they let go and they fall. And you watch this and you celebrate it. Right. Um, we, we take videos and we encourage them to take their first step. Right. We love it when they take the first step, and we celebrate. We clap. We're like, that's awesome. You tried. You did a great job. And then you send it out to all your friends and family, and you're like, look what little Johnny did. This is amazing. Right? And everybody's happy. Um, when I'm, I'm talking to my friend about this, I told him, I was like, bro, I'm like, your baby is barely crawling right now. I was like, don't blink. In a few months, that little joker is going to be running around your house, bonking his head on everything, crying, you know, testing his little wobbly legs. He's found this new mobility, and he's going to be testing the limits of what he can do because he's never experienced this before, and it's amazing, right? The other night, um, 
we were having dinner at our house, and uh, <laughs> Titus and Case are eight and ten. Titus is almost just like up to Allie's shoulders now, and Case can read his Bible without any help in the mornings. And they were just talking like crazy at dinner, and Allie turned to me and was like, "Do you remember when they couldn't talk?" And I was like, "Yeah, well, we encouraged this, you know, like we taught them how to do this, you know." And now we're like, "Be quiet," but we we encourage them, right? We encourage them to grow. We encourage them to walk. We encourage them to run. We, we are constantly, as parents, encouraging our kids, teaching our kids, training our kids to, to do these things. And we see them. We witness it. A lot of people, like, get meticulous and, and track it, you know? Like, from, from infancy to toddler to, like, through the school years, they'll just track it to, to see. We know that they move from crawlers to, to toddling to standing to walking to running and we see it happen really fast. How strange would it be, think about this, how strange would it be if you see a kid that's like 15 years old, like scooting across the floor? Like, shouldn't that, shouldn't that kid be walking? Right? Or uh, running? We would think, man, why are, why are they stuck in this stage when they should be here, right? We, we know that they haven't progressed and that, and that there's something wrong. Why aren't they maturing? Why aren't they growing up? Why aren't they learning? Why are they still here when they should be here at this stage of development? If we know that to be true when it comes to plants and human beings, what about the Christian life? Or the Christian life is a movement. It is, it's not stagnant, right? It's, it's dynamic. We, we, should, we should constantly be moving from immaturity to maturity. As followers of Jesus, we're constantly growing in our faith. And so let's talk about those three things when it comes to sanctification. What is it? What are the stages of it, and what's our role? So let's first define it. The root word of the word sanctification, because it's a big word, is, to san- is sanctify. That's a smaller word. To sanctify is to set something apart, to be set apart, to be holy. So to be sanctified, therefore, means to be set apart, to be holy, to be pure, to be useful to the Lord. And so sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. And in the life of a follower of of Jesus, this process has three unique phases, okay? There's three phases, and the first part of it in the life of a believer occurs at the moment of conversion. So that would be past sanctification. And, And the second part is during the lifetime of the believer. That's present sanctification. And finally, when you get to the end, that's face-to-face with Jesus at death. That's future sanctification. Now, we're going to walk through each of these, but remember in Hebrews 12, 14, it tells us without sanctification, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So Jesus promised in the Sermon on the Mount this incredible blessing. Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? 
see God, right? Sanctification is always, it always ends face-to-face with Jesus. That is where the road of sanctification always ends. That's the ultimate goal, face-to-face with Jesus. Christ-likeness is the focus, and we won't reach that goal until we're face-to-face with Jesus. One author, Stanley Grinch, said this. He said, the nature of sanctification is twofold in that Christians have been made holy through Christ and are called to continue to grow into and strive for holiness by cooperating with the indwelling Holy Spirit until they enjoy complete conformity to Christ. So this, this is a journey, right? And this journey begins when you are born again, when you have a relationship with Jesus, right? So past sanctification, let's talk about that a little more deeply. Past sanctification refers to the moment you're saved, right? That's the moment that you are brought from death to life. You are justified in the sight of God and sanctified. Past sanctification refers to this change moment. You're brought from death and you're brought to life. You had a cold, dead heart of stone. The Lord gave you a heart of flesh that beats for him. This is something that only God can do. You can't do it. I can't do it. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, verses 9, 10, and 11. It says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. That's past tense. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And what's amazing, mind-blowing about past sanctification is, and this is beyond human comprehension, okay? So even if you ask the greatest theologian you know, and they say, I understand it, they're lying. This happens in the mind of God, only he understands it. Past sanctification happens before we're even aware of it. The scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You and I had nothing to do with that. That's all God. Justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is freedom from the power of sin over your life. All right? And those things happen simultaneously One happens only once, one happens ongoingly. Justification is a single occurrence. Happens once, boom, done. Sanctification happens, but it continues to happen. So it's this this unique already, but not yet reality in a follower of Jesus' life. It's a process. So that's past sanctification. Let's talk about present sanctification. Present sanctification refers to the change movement from immaturity to maturity, from ungodliness to pursuing godliness, right? From never repenting to repenting daily. And repentance is not just something you do when you become a follower of Jesus. It's not just walking an aisle. It's not just praying a prayer. Repentance is a lifestyle for a follower of Christ. It's something that we should do daily because we mess up daily. Right? And repentance is a change of mind. It's not only a changing of direction, but it's a change of mind, which leads to a change of action. Because what we think affects what we love. 
So what you know, right, affects your affections in your heart. And then what you love, all of your affections drive your actions. So it kind of works like that, right? Head, heart, hands. That's how it works. So when you repent, it's a changing of mind. And if I change my mind, because our thinking, like ideas have consequences, our thinking influences our actions. So when you repent, you change your mind about something, and you turn from that thing, and you start pursuing Jesus. So it's a turning from and a turning to. Repentance in the life of a follower of Jesus looks like a turning from self and a turning to Jesus. It's a turning from self-centeredness. It's a turning from self-autonomy or self-sovereign. Like we love to live our lives like we are in control. I am in control of my own life. I like to do what I want to do. I like to call the shots. I'm self-sovereign. I'm self-autonomous. And a follower of Jesus doesn't live that way. They reject that. They turn away from that. And they say, I submit and surrender to Jesus. I'm not autonomous. I'm actually bought with a price. I, I have a master over here. I'm the master of my own soul. Over here, Jesus is my master. And you're turning from this to this. It's completely different. It's a radical reorientation. A radical reorientation of your heart and your mind. Right? You're, you're reorienting your heart and your mind from my will, my ways, my do it, to God's will, God's ways, God's word. It's a completely different lifestyle. So your, your life was heading in one direction, and now your life is heading in a completely opposite direction. This should be evident to all. There should be evidence of this. Right? You, you, you should see evidence of it. Other people should see evidence of it because you're heading in a new direction. And over here, it's all your power. It's all you're doing. It's all your work. Over here, it's the Lord working through you, in and through you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a follower of Jesus's life. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, we have been made new. The old has gone, the new has come, right? We've been made new, and we are to live it out. We're to walk out this newness of life. We are sanctified, but we're also called to walk it out. So yes, you already are sanctified, but you're also called to now live as if you are sanctified. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple in Luke 9, 23, you have to do what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's not just a one-time thing. That's a, I don't know about you, but I need every day. I'm thankful the Lord's mercies are new every day. I need to wake up every day because I messed up yesterday. I'm thankful for his mercies today, and I need to deny myself today, and then deny myself an hour from now, and I need to take up my cross and die to myself 30 minutes from now, right, and follow Jesus. Romans 12, 1 through 2, another great passage, right? We need to daily offer ourselves up as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. How do we do that? By not conforming to the world, but by being transformed, by the renewing of your what? Mind. That's how, that, see how important it is? Paul just got done preaching the gospel for 11 chapters. He gets to chapter 12 and he says, you got to renew your mind. Offer your bodies to the living sacrifice. I urge you, brothers, why? In view of God's mercy, in view of his mercy, you're thinking about his mercy. I needed it so much. I'm thankful for it. 
And now I realize I need to renew my mind daily, every day, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. All of this occurs over the course of a pilgrimage. That's why if you've never read The Pilgrim's Progress, you should. It's a pilgrimage. Christianity, walking with Jesus is a pilgrimage. We're to remember 1 Peter 2, 9. 1 Peter 2, 11. You've got to remember who you are. You've got to remember whose you are. And you've got to remember what we were called to do. How we were called to live. All of that is in two verses. 1 Peter 2, 11 says, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. It's, sanctification is not a clean process. It's not an easy process. It's not a clean process. You will get dirty. You will get messed up. Right? Friday night, um, my family went to the rodeo. I don't know if anybody else went to the rodeo in town, in Andrews, but at one point in time, the, the guy said, hey, uh, we're getting some animals ready while we're doing that. Kids, y'all just come on in here into the center of the pen. We're like, really? The kids get to go climb the fence. You got 60 kids in the middle of this mud pit, right? And he gets them lined up, and he says, okay, y'all are going to chase some calves around the pen and try to grab the ribbon. And they're like, really? They're like, yeah. And he's like, but you got to get ready. And so he starts getting them to do jumping jacks. Then he's like, all right, jump down on the floor, face first. And they just slap roll around like fire drill style and he was getting them ready and then they were filthy thank you and then you have to go home with us not with that guy and then they chased the calves around and try to grab the ribbon it was hilarious right but that process was not clean it was dirty sanctification while the we are called to be holy and pure right you're going to mess up it's is war clean no this passage says abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. This is dirty. This is hard. It's not going to be easy. The present process of sanctification should be, it could be described as, as a gradual change process, a, a gradual day-by-day growing into being conformed into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians three eighteen gradually growing into the image of Christ. And in that 1 Thessalonians 4 passage, there's an emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit and that it's, it's God's will for us to be sanctified and that we need to learn how to control our own bodies. That's self-control, right? Which is what? You can't do that by yourself. You'll fill every time. Holy Spirit power. Right, fruit of the Spirit. Learn how to control your own bodies in holiness and honor. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4 4 says. And in purity. Why? Because we know God. The, you should see a massive difference between people who don't know God and people who know God. That's, if, if you read that 1 Thessalonians 4 passage, that's the difference. Paul's saying, hey, here's the difference between people who know the Lord and people who don't know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, you ha- you're headlong into sexual morality. That's the main thrust of 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. If you do know the Lord, you're pursuing holiness. You're rejecting sexual morality. You're pursuing Christ. You're living your life in self-control, learning to control your body in holiness and honor. We're also instructed in the scriptures 
in Ephesians chapter 4 to regularly, consistently put off the old, put on the new. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And this is something you don't do overnight. It's something that you have to do regularly, consistently. It's not a overnight change process. Some things the Lord automatically, miraculously takes away from some people. And some things, it's a lifetime of learning to walk with the Lord, tripping, falling, stumbling, bonking your head. It's hard work, but you're consistently putting off. You're consistently putting on. You're learning to apply these things over the course of our lives with our eyes fixed on Jesus. By grace through faith, this is possible. The final stage of sanctification is freedom from the presence of sin. This is future sanctification. This is a glorious thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's it's not a battle anymore because it's over. You're face to face with Jesus. This is the goal. Freedom from the presence of sin. As followers of Jesus, we rejoice because we are set free from the penalty of sin. Justification and sanctification happen. As followers of Jesus, we rejoice and fight and strive that we are free from the power of sin. I have a choice now. I don't have to say yes to my flesh anymore. I get to walk in the Spirit. But then when we're face-to-face with Jesus, we don't struggle anymore. We don't have to worry about the past or the present because we're in the presence of Jesus. And so that's beautiful. That's encouraging. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Psalm 5, 4. While in this body, living in the fallen world, We're always going to be susceptible to sin. But when we die, we are immediately in the presence of the Lord where sin has no place. Sin cannot be because he is holy, completely holy. And we will be holy as he is holy. Sanctification will be complete for us when we die or when Jesus comes back. One or the other. Right, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, doesn't that sound a lot like Hebrews 13, 20? May the God of peace. Goodness gracious, you gotta love the Bible. Now, we know that sanctification, we know what sanctification is. We know that it occurs in the past, present, and future. So to our final question, a very important one. What's our role? What is our role in the sanctification process? Another way to put it is what's the role of effort in the Christian life? I know that that is probably a foul word to some people in Christianity, effort, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to explore the synergistic nature of sanctification, this relationship between God's sovereign grace and our moral effort in the Christian life. So when we say that, what, we're, what we mean is this, that there is the reality of passive and active aspects of sanctification in our lives. We know it's God's will for us to be sanctified, and he will make it come to pass. It will happen because he's sovereign. And what he says, he will do. He always follows through. We know we needed God's grace to be saved. 
we know that we need his grace to live for him. You, the big difference between this person and this person is grace. It's grace. They're still trying to do it on their own. This right over here is like, I need you. I can't do it without you. I need your grace day in and day out. Romans 6, 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we have to believe and act upon what Christ has done for us. So the sovereign grace of the Lord saves and sanctifies. He does both. Yes, he's that powerful. So before a relationship with Christ, we're enemies of God. We don't care about him. We don't love him. We don't live for him. We don't want to be sanctified. We don't want to pursue godliness. We don't care about it. But through faith in Christ, we're sanctified, and we're urged to pursue sanctification. So for the believer, salvation costs nothing. But if you trust in Jesus, it costs you everything. This is the tension between grace and effort. We must work but not to earn. We must work, but not to earn. We're called to play a part, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to seek holiness. Remember Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace. Everybody, strive for peace. Strive, strive for peace. For the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. In the NIV, I know not a lot of people like that translation, but in the NIV, that verse Strive, that word is translated as make every effort. Make every effort. We are to make every effort to strive for holiness, to be holy, to be sanctified. We must make every effort in the power of God's grace received through faith in Christ to grow and advance and mature in holiness. We're to seek it and rest in it already and already having it. We've already got it. That's what the scripture says, but seek it. You've already got it. This is already true in your life, but pursue it. You've already got it, but run hard after it. So there's the tension. Hebrews 10, 14 is very explicit here. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Wait, I thought the sanctification was, per, was perfection. Well, he said he's already perfected us, and the, but we're being sanctified. It, it's already happened, but it's, it's still happening. We're in the process of it, right? So here's... Here's what's crazy about that. If you want to rewrite that verse, Jesus' past action has present and future ramifications. Jesus' past action has present and future ramifications. So salvation for those being sanctified is possible because of Jesus' single offering. It's only possible because of Jesus, right? We contribute nothing to our salvation. Only Jesus' atonement perfects. We can't perfect ourselves. Only his atonement. Only Jesus' single offering of himself saves his people forever. He has perfected us, past tense. Those who are trusting in his sacrifice. It also says that we're being present tense sanctified. So we've got a little bit of the already but not yet here in this passage as well. And no one in Christ, in their right mind, would say, I'm perfect. I've reached it. I've attained it. If you meet somebody and they say, I'm perfect, then you need to run away because they're crazy. We all know we're not perfect. Nobody has a perfect day. No person, only Jesus, no person who's ever walked in this earth, Jesus is the only one who had a perfect day. There ain't one person 
besides Christ, who has lived one single day perfect. And the crazy thing about what Jesus has done for us when it comes to imputed righteousness is that he's transferred his perfect record to our account. That's crazy. We're made perfect because of Christ and we're being made perfect. We are made whole in Christ and we're being made whole. Sanctification is the process. It's progressive, gradual growth in holiness. So can you say this is true of you? Do some self-assessment. Can you say this is true of you? Am I being sanctified? Am I different now than I was last year? Have I, have I grown in my understanding of the gospel? Do I have a desire to know the Lord more and more and more? Do I love his word more this year than I did in 2021? We're to live out what God has already made a reality. The synergistic nature of sanctification could be described as God doing what we could not do for ourselves and him equipping and empowering us to do what he will not do for us because it's our responsibility. That is a really important sentence. I'm going to have to say it again. The synergistic nature of sanctification could be described as God doing what we could not do for ourselves and him equipping and empowering us to do what he will not do for us because it's our responsibility. We could never make ourselves holy. We can't do that. Only God can sanctify. Yet, throughout the scriptures, we see these active verbs shouting at us. Right? What are some? Strive. Flee. Pursue. Resist. Stand firm. Consider. Fix. Put off. Put on. Put to death. Do not conform. You could just go on. All of these are action verbs, implying that the follower of Christ has an active role in the process of sanctification. So that means the scriptures are teaching us that effort is not a four-letter word in the Christian life. We can't dismiss our role when it comes to pursuing Christ or pursuing holiness. We have a role. Pastor, author, Kevin DeYoung puts it bluntly when he says sanctification is not by surrender, but by divinely enabled toil and effort. Man, that gets some Christians' feathers ruffled. If you don't have a good, well-rounded picture of sovereign grace and sovereign Holy Spirit power working in you, then yeah, that sentence is going to mess you up. Where did I get that from? I'm glad you asked. He wrote it in a book called The Whole in Our Holiness, one of the best books I've ever read. It literally changed how me and Allie were living our lives at the point in time when we read that book. The Whole in Our Holiness, highly encourage you to read it. Right? We are equipped by passive means for active effort. God has equipped us, right? And it, it's not a bad thing to say you've got something to do in the Christian life. 
that we have to put forth some effort. God will do some things for us that we can't do. But he's also given us the responsibility and the ability to do some things that he won't do for you. Now, that sounds really weird. Let me give you some examples. And maybe you've experienced this before. Maybe you've been in a conversation before with somebody. You didn't know you were going to be in this conversation. You weren't prepared for it. And they came up to you and they asked you for some advice. And you, all of a sudden, you're a, you're a biblical counselor. And they're asking you for life advice. And you're like, well, I wasn't really expecting this. And they throw something really heavy on you. And next thing you know, you're given some really sound, doctrinal, scriptural, biblical, faithful advice. You start saying some scriptures, right? And at the end of it, you're encouraged, they're encouraged, and they're helped. And you're like, where did that come from? I wasn't ready for that. Maybe you've experienced that before, right? And you're like, man, I don't know where that came from. Well, I do. It came from the Holy Spirit. It was God's Spirit using God's Word through God's people to counsel God's people. That's how He does it. And it's an amazing thing, right? And I don't know about you, but I've never had the Holy Spirit bring to my mind a scripture that I've never read, that I've never meditated on, or that I've never memorized. That's not how God works. God has given us brains. He's given us eyeballs. He's given us ears. We are to put forth effort. We are to learn to read. Even if you're like, I hate reading. I don't care. God gave you the Bible. How, so you get to know him, right? Like you got to read in order to get to know him better. And you, you put forth effort in his word to put it in your brain and soak it up in your heart so that when you get in moments like that and the Holy Spirit reaches down in that bucket, is he just fiddling around and finding nothing? Or is he grabbing, he's got something to grab out of the storehouses of what you put in there. Right? We are to put forth effort. It's our responsibility it's our responsibility to delight in the law of the Lord day and night and meditate on his word. That's our responsibility, right? God wakes you up in the morning. You ain't do that. You is dead asleep, right? And he wakes you up and he gives you energy and you step out of the bed. It's your responsibility then. He's not going to like, you're not a robot. You're not going to walk over, and then he's going to have the, the Bible open for you, like, automatically, and the coffee is really hot right beside the Bible, and he gives you this passion and desire to read, read his word. That's not how it happens. You've got to put forth effort. Where we see this in the scriptures is in a shocking passage. Philippians 2 12 through 13, Paul says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We've got both here, God working and God calling you to work, right? They're both here, all God, and you got some effort to work out. Some of the most intense language that we see comes from the Apostle Paul when it comes to the seriousness of, of this. Like, we, sanctification, we're called, we, we, were, we were called to accept it, but we're also called to apply it to our lives. Here's how we apply it. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death whatever is earthly in you. Romans 8, 13. Put to death the deeds of the body. All right, so there's this delicate balance 
between passive and active. Jerry Bridges says this, no one can attain any degree of holiness without work. God working in his life, but just as surely no one will attain it without effort of his own. So it's clear we're called to put forth effort, but we are equipped through the Spirit's power and not our own. That's a beautiful thing. God doesn't call you to do something he hasn't equipped you to do. He's not going to call you to do something and not give you the ability to do it. Right? The, the Holy Spirit is the key agent in our sanctification. It's he who sanctifies. It's he who is, empowers us to work in cooperation with him as we pursue righteousness. And he conforms us into Christ-like individuals for the glory of God. That's how he does it. It's his work. James Boyce said this, in his book, Amazing Grace, he says, real Christianity leads us to Jesus Christ. And that means that the Holy Spirit comes to live within the Christian, giving the person a new nature, creating love for God and a desire to obey him and providing the ability to do what God requires. In other words, the gospel leads to an internal transformation. And when you have an internal transformation, you can't hide it. Outwardly, it's gonna happen. Have you ever come across somebody who has a crush on somebody else? Or somebody who loves somebody? Right? They can't hide it. You see it. It's written on them. They talk about it. They can't not smile. Right? It shapes every aspect of their life. And that's what sanctification should be like for followers of Christ. It should shape every aspect of our lives. And the beautiful thing about it is it's not a solo pursuit. You don't do it by yourself. Are there some private moments where you need to put forth effort? Absolutely. But guess what? Right now, this is a process of sanctification. Corporately, together. So sanctification is not isolation, right? It, it's being together. It's a community project. It's important for all of us to do individual work in pursuing sanctification, but we're called to do it together. He doesn't call us to be idle in our pursuit of himself. He also doesn't call us to be isolated. So no, I, there's no room for idleness in the Christian life. There's also no room for isolation. Unless you are in a season of prayer and fasting by yourself for a specific a moment of time and then you come back. Right? Where we were created to live in community. God designed us to experience fellowship with him and with one another. We're encouraged to do this together. So, in closing... A few things as a way of application. Here's a simple question we can all ask each other. How's your walk? You ever had anybody ask you that? How's your walk? What they mean by that is how's your walk with Christ? How's your walk? Are you growing? Are you crawling? Are you, are you, should you be running, but yet you're having belly time? How's your walk? Now, there's three responses to that. The first is Offended. You could get offended when somebody asks you that. How dare you ask me such a personal question? But remember, we're not called to live in isolation. We're called to ask each other hard questions, to, to call each other out. Another response to that question, how's your walk, is conviction. You could be convicted. Man, I know I haven't been growing. I've been stagnant. I know I stink. You smell it. You probably see me. Another response to that question is you're just super excited. Dude, let me tell you what God's been teaching me. You'll, not, you, you'll never believe. I had this conversation the other day with somebody. I got to talk to him about Jesus. You want to know if somebody is in the process of sanctification, they're pursuing the Lord? 
like they talk to you about conversations they've had with other people about the Lord, and they're excited about it. Another point of application is this. Repentance is necessary for salvation and ongoing sanctification. Repentance should be a lifestyle for us. It's necessary for salvation, but also ongoing sanctification. It's important for us to remember that when it comes to putting off, we're also to put on. When it comes to running away from something, you're also to run to something. So we have to replace the don'ts with do's, right? The Bible's not a list of don'ts. Does it have some don'ts in there? Absolutely. But it's got a lot of do's. Don't just run away from sin. Run to Jesus. Don't just stop walking in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. Don't just let go of selfishness, but cling to Christ. Right? There are things we're called to do. And what, what's the motivation for all of this? Because you've got to really be motivated to do it. It's God's grace. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. He goes on, it's God's grace, it's God's grace, it's God's grace that motivates us. And I love how that same author, the Apostle Paul, says it's God's grace, it's God's grace that trains us, it's God's grace, it's God's grace that does it, it's God's grace, it's God's grace. And then to Timothy, he said that to Titus, he said something different to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. To Titus, hey, it's God's grace in you, man. It's God's grace in you. He didn't need that push. Timothy, train yourself, man. Put some work in. Put some holy sweat in. Train yourself. You need to be equipped. Training's not easy, right? It takes work. It takes effort to lift heavy things, to run long distances, to get on a bike, to hop on a rower, to lift weights, to get up out of bed, put on your shoes. Right? Like, it takes effort. So what are the tools? There's a lot of tools in working out. Equipment, right? What are the tools when it comes to sanctification? God's word. God's word. He's given us his word, the sword of the spirit. He's given us his son. He's given us his spirit. We don't have to do it in our own power. Right? He's given us his ear. We can, we can pray. We've got God's word. We've got his ear. We've got his son, we got his spirit, we got the church. God's word, God's ear, God's spirit, God's church. Jesus makes all of it possible. We're never alone in the process. His word is enough. His spirit is dwelling inside of every follower of Jesus. So, I'm going to read one more passage and we're going to close before you leave tonight. If you want, there's some of these at the tent out here, all right? It's called Put Off, Put On, and it's just a really old chart that um, a pastor put together a long time ago, um, and so I don't, it might be King James Version Bible. I don't know. I didn't put this together, but he does a really good job of walking through. I mean, it's front and back. It's color-coordinated. It's really good, so if you want to grab a hard copy, you can grab one before you leave. I'll email one out to you this week. This is what Richard Phillips says. In fact, it is through the gospel ministry of his Holy Spirit, granting power to God's word and to prayer, that Christ himself labors to sanctify his bride. Christ himself labors to sanctify his bride. Ephesians 5, 
says this, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. For this is the will of God for your life, your sanctification, that you should be holy to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your sovereign grace. Holy Spirit, we praise you for your indwelling presence. And Jesus, we praise you for making all of it possible, for showing us by your life what it looks like to say no to self and yes to the will of the Father, showing us what it looks like daily to deny ourselves, showing us what it looks like to walk in holiness, to have a, a radical reorientation of mind and heart and body to your will, your ways, using your word. Jesus, you are a perfect example of it. And you know how much we need you in the process. It's in your name we pray, amen.